It's that time of the year again where we get to talk about Schrodinger's PC. Happy Friday, friends. We are in the middle of January. We are, well, <laughs> I was about to say we're bursting into sunlight. We are adding more minutes of the day of sunlight in the Northern Hemisphere and people in the Southern Hemisphere. Thanks for giving it to us because uh, that's kind of what keeps me going. <laughs> this is the worst time of the year for me personally. I just do not like the darkness. There's there's no holidays, although there is a football game this weekend that's I'm emotionally invested in, um, which is keeping me going. But it's uh, middle of January. We're getting a lot of good stuff. CES now behind us, and now we're into that cycle of what's actually going to ship from CES. But to kick things off here, we got some new data about PC sales, and I love this data because I call it Schrodinger's PC because the PC has been dead so many times, and the PC has been back multiple times, and we are back again with another edition of The PC is Back, according to all the headlines, but anybody who really kind of watches this stuff knows it's like, yeah, these are just kind of maybe normal trending, but either way, uh, PC sales grew 16% in 2021. Now, some people might say that's a little interesting because in 2020, when things got started in the world and everybody moved home, a whole bunch of PC sales were purchased. And the assumption was that companies were buying PCs ahead of schedule and that things would tail off and that the PCs would go back to being dead like they have been since, I don't know, like 2010 or whenever Apple declared the PC was dead. Uh, but as that's turned out, that's not really the case. Realistically, last year was another big year for the company, or for the industry, I should say. Uh, leading the industry, by the way, was Lenovo with 83 million units sold, or taking about 24.1% slice of the market pie. HP, not too far behind at 74.1, followed up by Dell at 59.5. So those are by far the big clear winners of that sort of uh, massive you know, uptick in sales. Now, the question is, what's really driving these sales? Well, if you look at like the pundits online, it's like, well, it's just everybody still needs new PCs and whatever, but whatever. But if you look at the other side, it's like, well, there were chip shortages. If we had more chips on the shelves and more PC peripherals available, these numbers would be even better. So it's like, who's right, who's wrong? And then you can't forget, also, Windows 11 was released. I like People don't understand the value proposition and the marketing push that something like Windows 11 can really do to PC sales. For five years or so, it's just Windows 10, Windows 10. And then you walk in, here's Windows 11. It's like, well, I need a Windows 11, so let's go buy a new, a new PC. Um, I think it's really just a, a combination of things. One, Windows 11 certainly did not hurt things in terms of PC sales. Uh, I think that, two, that people just kind of like PCs. I mean, there's a natural state of the market of what PC sales will be for the long term. And there is some number in there, and it will ebb and flow. And this could have been one of those years where it just pops up a little bit because more people need to replace things because either, A, they realize they're going to be working at home forever, potentially, um, Windows 11 or multiple things. Either way, I think it's it's just really fair to say that the Windows isn't going anywhere. I mean, Microsoft thought it was going away for a while and the industry thought it was going away for a while. But time and time again, it gets proven wrong that the PC is here to stay in a very large percentage of the market. And at least for the time being, it's sticking around. I don't know. I like Windows. I hope it doesn't go anywhere. But either way, uh, that's really the PC sales. It's, the PC's dead. The PC's back. And if you're a Surface Go 3, the PC is now black. Uh, that was a nice little segue there. Microsoft announced this week the Surface Go 3 now comes in matte black. If you really liked the Surface Go 3 and said, I would only buy it if it was matte black. Uh, well, now you have an option. It looks very similar to the Surface Pro 8 that comes in those colors. It's the same black that Microsoft has used for, I don't know, a decade, at least a decade now, probably at this point, around that same color. I really wish they would get into that color stuff, though. They did it for a little bit on the Surface laptop 
laptop where we had the burgundy and the cobalt blue, and now we just get silver and black, and Microsoft isn't doing any fun colors, and Apple's probably going to do fun colors with the new, uh, whatever, MacBook Air coming out, and then we'll see a resurgence in the industry of that, and uh, I don't know, either way, that is that. Also, the Surface Pro 8 with LTE, if that was also something you were interested in, is now available. No 5Gs on that thing, yep, but you can get an LTE option. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what happened at the world of Microsoft, but they finally, they finally fixed the volume indicator in Windows 11. This has been, this has been a, a, the volume indicator was a black square and it almost looked like a game of snake going up and down. I believe it's been that way since Windows 8, just blew through Windows 10 for five years and just stuck around. And now there is a new volume up indicator and I can't believe we're talking about this, but it's a big deal because it's been so long and it's been so outdated that it's coming to Windows 11. It was in the latest uh, developer build, so not everybody has it yet, but you'll get it whenever probably, I don't know, with the next big release of Windows 11. We think Microsoft hasn't really clarified how they're gonna be shipping this stuff, uh, but it is coming. That's all that matters is that you will be able to do this eventually. Finally, now speaking of updates, updates this week out of Microsoft, especially especially on the IT admin side, were rough to put it lightly. Uh, probably even more rough if you were on the Microsoft team. So they were attempting, to, I believe, to patch a zero-day vulnerability. It's just a, your typical Patch Tuesday, except this Patch Tuesday wrecked a lot of things, a lot of things. And I mean, first off, if you had Hyper-V and it was working just happily dappily in your environment, not after this patch, completely wrecked that environment. Um, also very fun and hilarious is that domain controllers were entering reboot loops. And basically, if, if you put these two together, some IT admins woke up uh, the following Tuesday after their machines were patched or whatever to a really, really bad time. And so the Microsoft, I believe, has pulled the patches, thankfully, and are working on fixes. But basically, you have to uninstall the patch. But it was like, holy cow, like you talk about just wrecking an entire industry with one simple little patch. Microsoft managed to do that. Uh, this week, and it's like the double whammy punch of killing Hyper-V in these these boot loops, and there was also some, I believe, some Active Directory implications as well. Just a really bad patch, and it makes you wonder how something like the Hyper-V is the one that gets me the most. Like I understand things get pushed out and bad stuff happens. I I'm not oblivious to that. It happens. It absolutely happens. But a Hyper-V being <laughs> neutered in the way that this patch did should have been caught by an automated test. I, that's what I don't quite get is like if Hyper-V just cannot turn on and, and is, is wrecked, like why? how did that not come up? Because that is a pretty baseline thing. Either way, um, if you're still having these problems, you've probably already Googled it and figured out a solution. Uh, we look to wait to see if Microsoft's going to clarify like, I don't know guys, like what happened or why did this go out in this fashion? I'm not quite sure. Either way, just be on the lookout for that. Also, speaking of data centers, Microsoft landed a key individual from Team Apple. Uh, his name is Mike Filippio, I believe. I, you know how I am with pronouncing names. Either way, he's a chip designer. Now, don't get off on the wrong tangent here. This is going to be for their Azure data center stack. So this is not necessarily a chipset that is going to be coming into a Surface Pro X anytime soon, but this is an individual who's going to be helping designing silicon for their data centers. Now, we don't know exactly know what route they're going, but Microsoft very clearly has indicated that it is interested in building its own chipsets. We've already seen this somewhat in their data center, so that aspect doesn't make a big, you know, it's not a big surprise. Either way, that's a pretty big win for for uh, Microsoft. There's been a lot of uh, movement in the industry, if you will. We've been hearing this a lot. Actually, Apple, I think it was like two weeks ago, said that they were going to give bonuses to specific individuals of like 50 to like 200K, massive bonuses. 
probably because they're losing a lot of chip designers. This is what happens. Apple took the lead or became very popular in the chipset industry. And so when you're looking to hire good people in the chipset industry, well, Apple's doing pretty well. Let's go find some people over there and steal them. This is happening to Microsoft as well. It sounds like a lot of people are getting sucked off the HoloLens team and being pulled over into Meta and their Oculus Rift for former, the, the org formerly known as Oculus Rift. And so that is a lot of moving around and that's just people circling around through the industry. Uh, but it's very common and it seems to be happening quite a bit. So those are sort of the big headlines of the week onto the gaming side. Uh, Microsoft officially confirmed, I'm, I'm, I was honestly surprised this is like news, but Microsoft officially confirmed that they stopped making the Xbox One in 2020. I actually thought that was known, um, but either way, they have stopped making it, which makes complete sense because it's very obvious. Microsoft made a big bet on the Xbox Series S. And when you have a, a product coming out and a low saturation pr price, or not a low saturation, but a lower price point, you don't want to saturate the market with your own product. And so you did, they didn't want the Xbox, especially the Xbox One X, alongside the Series S because like the, the price points got very, very dangerously close and it would create a significant amount of market confusion. And so why keep the Xbox One around? And so they officially stopped doing that in 2020. Now, that comes on the tales that Sony has actually said that they are still building the PS4, which if you look at how Sony has done things, especially the PS2, the PS2 stayed in production for a very, very long time. It's not all that surprising. Sony has a different model than Microsoft, and they're also taking a different approach. So it's hearing that they are still building the PS4 through 2022 is not all that surprising. It also kind of aligns to with a bit of why they continue to, to change some of their stance on what games were available for as PS5 only. Remember, they once said, we believe in generations, and then now that has just kind of evaporated. Also, other things to be aware of is that the Hitman trilogy is coming to Game Pass. I believe that is happening as uh, next week. So that is a very popular franchise, and that will uh, it should do pretty well. It should do pretty well. Hitman's a great series, and so if you have the Game Pass, you don't have to pay any dollar dues or mini fridge units to be able to go pay those titles. So, uh, as always, questions of the week, my favorite part. And so let's just dive in, shall we? So Tourniquet chimes in and says, now with more foldable PCs being... Being announced. Have you heard anything about a Windows 10X successor in the works? I have not. Um, no, I haven't. I have poked around a little bit, uh, and I have not heard that there's a true Windows 10 successor in place. I would be surprised because we already see the true kind of Windows 10X successor. It's called Windows 11 SE. You don't have to love it. You don't have to like it, but that product fits somewhat better into Microsoft's sort of Windows servicing model that they have built than, say, a, a publicly-facing product that would be a Chromebook competitor. Uh, Windows 11 SE, for those who aren't familiar, comes on the surf service laptop SE, I think is what it's called, and it's a, a entry-level device, and it's a very constricted and controlled device for education. You have to have an Intune. You can't just go buy it at Best Buy. And so that is actually the successor, at least as far as I understand. Uh, is there follow-up question? Is there anything else coming to Sun Valley 2 other than system-wide dark mode? Is Microsoft considering adding more of these features from 10X to Windows 11 with SV2? There should be more coming to SV2 than just system-wide dark mode, at least from what I understand. I think there's going to be some search changes and there should be some other UI elements that are at least being considered 
for the next release. I'll be curious to see actually when Microsoft starts talking about it because the way that they did this current Sun Valley one, they waited until June, so we might have to wait a bit. I don't know. We will see what Microsoft is working on here. And then the other sort of odd part is that they're slowly announcing things coming through the Insider program, right? They've already announced some updates to the Start menu where you can add or subtract the number of recent documents, I believe, and you can also update more pinned items, but you can't fully remove either section yet. And so that is there. Speaking of which, I totally even just skipped the ball on this on my own stuff. Uh, we did drop Start 11 uh, 1.1 this week, which updates some enhancements for the Start menu, including adding folders and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, it's, a, it's a good update. So um, keeping that in mind, I also forgot as well that there was another Insider build. That is the one with the volume update. But that volume update build actually broke Start 11. Uh, we're not, we, we have a good idea of what Microsoft has done to the UI to break it. We do have a fix. And if you're in the dev channel only, it's only in the dev channel, we'll have a beta build out probably by the time this podcast is live that will fix that. But um, it's really interesting being on the other side of the development coin and seeing that like in real time that Microsoft was making some changes to Windows that we were not privy to and that they break some things. And so the question becomes, are those changes making their way to production or was this an accident like the <laughs> like the uh, domain controller's rebooting? So there we go. Uh, R.L. Baker says, greetings, Mr. Sams. I'd love your insight into any of the following. Do you, how likely uh, do you believe we will get a new pro Xbox controller this year? So I went back and looked at the release cadence of the original Elite and then the Series 2. I believe it was a four-year gap, and the Series 2 came out in 2019, which means this year might be a bit early if Microsoft keeps to a normal cadence for the Elite stuff. I know that they're working on one because they need to update the model to have the share button because I personally would like the share button on the Elite controller, especially for what they charge for it right now it's still a great controller as long as you get a good unit there's still some stick drift issues and some bumper issues just typical microsoft issues with these types of controllers i still quite like it i hope we see one in the second half of this year but i haven't quite heard explicitly yet if we will uh, he says others have opined that microsoft will launch a wearable to help tie together their restarted mobile ecosystem efforts do you see this as a probability or more likely they will partner with Garmin, the last remaining non-Android vendor where fast smart watches. Actually, I can see my Xbox watch. I don't think I can reach it, uh, which was one of the first wearables that came out that I believe eventually turned into the Microsoft band. I personally do not think that they will get back into the wearable market other than the headsets with HoloLens. I think that is where they will stay. I do not see Microsoft launching a watch. They did not have good success with the band and I can't see them going down that. Microsoft just candidly typically has a lot of trouble in the consumer markets. The Xbox is one of the rare examples of where Microsoft has done exceptionally well with the consumer. Um, Surface is up there as well-ish, uh, but I say that with a little bit of caution because I believe they sell more in the enterprise than they do directly to consumers. So I don't, th I don't believe they are going to launch a wearable. That would be... I think they're beyond that stage at this point. Um, why hasn't Microsoft, how do you duo as an ad jingle to show off the grouped app function? <laughs> it's a, that's a pretty good tagline. How do you duo? Uh, I think it's, I think it's because they're not put, they don't push it a lot. They, they have some commercials out there, but it's not, 
it almost feels like the bare minimum of what they have to do for a company that makes billions of dollars in net income. It's not like they don't have the capacity to run a ton of ads and really start to move these things. Um, but they do. It's it's a pretty bare minimum thing. I don't know. Microsoft, it, it, it feels like they do the duo because they feel like they need to do the duo, not because they want to do the duo, if that makes sense. I mean, look at the Neo got scrapped, uh, at least for now, as we know it. And then they've got the duo and the duo too, but they don't, they don't feel like they're getting all the love of the exec team, if that makes sense. At least that's my uh, personal opinion. Uh, DC UK says, hi Brad, two part Xbox question. Do you think Phil Spencer is reaching that point in a senior position at Microsoft where he may be looking to retire or semi-retire? Uh, I think we can all agree he has more than earned it, turning a good ship Xbox around as he has. I, I don't know. I don't think so. I, I mean, he's finally, I fully agree that he has turned the Xbox ship around and he has got momentum behind the brand and he has done an exceptional job, especially when you look at the cards that he was dealt when he walked in. I don't think he's close to retirement. I haven't heard anything of the such and or of the like at this point, at least that he was thinking about retirement. Um, but I hope not because at this point, we now see Phil Spencer's fully laid out plan in play and in motion and in market, which is a, a long journey. I mean, it's taken several years to get there, right? It takes a long time to build games. It takes a long time to build consoles. It takes a long time to get games and consoles and a service like Game Pass in the market and running and with momentum. And so he's just now starting to see the fruits of his labor. And I can't imagine him saying, eh, I'm going to retire. I mean, I would be shocked if other companies haven't come to him and say, hey, come run or whatever. Uh, but at the same time, it's like, where would you want to go? Like you're leading Xbox. If you want to stay in the games industry, keep in mind, he's been at Microsoft for a long time, started in the mailroom. And for him to go to somewhere like EA or Ubisoft or whatever, that doesn't feel like that would be a great move just because then you're only making games, you're not making consoles. And so I, I think he will be at Microsoft for, for quite a bit longer. Um, secondly, if that ends up being the case, who do, ooh, who do you think his successor will be? I mean, there's a couple popular people floating around, people like Matt Booty, uh, Sarah Bond. Um, I don't have a great... I don't, I'm not exactly sure, but here's here's my sort of hunch how Microsoft, knowing how Microsoft likes to operate, my guess is that the successor to Phil Spencer will likely come from somebody, I would guess, on the Game Pass team. That would be my guess, primarily because that is Microsoft's future. That's what they talk about. And so somebody who, should, who has demonstrated success and is a leadership in that position and who has proven that they are capable of running a software as a service in a gaming industry might be a top candidate. Uh, not that somebody in that position needs to have extreme hardware chops, but Microsoft has already proven they're building consoles. We all kind of believe, well, I don't. Microsoft will continue to build consoles. That's not their long-tailed future, and so Game Pass really is it. So I would guess that it's somebody from that side of the operation. Uh, QNOC says, I've been thinking about that Microsoft likes to release products too soon. Interesting, QNOC. He says, Windows 11 was released with a mix of Windows 10 and Windows 11 UI elements, and Microsoft is now updating the UI to have more Windows 10 elements. For example, the new volume UI. And from this, on the game site, Halo Infinite Microsoft Flight Sim also released with a lot of missing features like co-op and forge and missing helicopters and flight sims. Do you think Microsoft released the software too soon? Uh, if you do, what do you think is the reason for this? Well, there's a, there's a lot in there. First off, uh, Flight Sim wasn't necessarily built by Microsoft. It was built by a third party under the Microsoft branding. 
Um, and then you also have games like, what was it, Stalker 2, that has now been delayed until December 8th. And then you also had Halo Infinite, which was delayed. And so the, the one challenge I push back with your assumption here is that all the teams that are building these different products are separate. Like, if Flight Sim was delayed, it has no bearing on what happens with Windows 11. Like, they're not linked in any meaningful way other than through a financial statement, realistically. And a leadership team, at the end of the day. I don't know if they were... It's easy to say they release it too early. Like Windows 11 should have waited because then we would have had a volume UI. But on the other side of it, is it worth holding back the release of Windows 11 last year because it doesn't have a volume UI component? Microsoft has already proven that they are going to ship updates and that they can do it. And so holding back the release because of that seems much harder pill to swallow. And let's be honest, that's just the Microsoft way of doing it. Windows 10 launched the same way. Windows 8 launched the same way. I mean, look how long Control Panel has sort of been a staple of of Windows, I say sort of, mostly because it's like there, but not there. The settings have grown. So I don't know if they release them too soon. It's always easy to say that. But at the same time, if we waited for perfection, Halo Infinite would not be available right now. Uh, Windows 11 would not be available right now. And it would probably be holding back Microsoft, honestly, uh, as as a um, as a company. So, uh, what, well, there's two questions left here, but the last one's really good, so I'm going to save that for the end. Uh, but Mr. PKI says, how about an ending question? So not truly the ending, because I shuffled the deck a little bit here, with a little BS. Microsoft has announced that AMD has adopted the Microsoft Pluton security chipset, but they are the only one, which is interesting, by the way, which we'll dive into here in a second. Would you actually recommend any AMD-based PCs or laptops at this time, or should we wait for Intel-based systems? Well... At this point, like I think we should be waiting for both sides, uh, mostly because if you're going to go buy a new PC right now and it's not running the AMD 6000, you're buying something that's last gen and I would wait. At the same time, if you're not buying Intel's new mobile 12th gen stuff, you're already buying last, last gen anyway, so I would wait. AMD mobile stuff looks great. Uh, their 3000 series was a dog. I, I cannot recommend any of that stuff. And that's several years out. And for those who are saying, what, what one was that? Um, I believe it was 3000 series. Maybe it was 4000. It was whatever the first AMD Surface laptop was. That thing, that chip was bad. And it was underperformant. And so they have made strides. And their new 6000 series stuff looks great. Their 5000 was really good. The 6000 looks even better. I would wait for independent verified benchmarks before going there. But... I would have no problem buying an AMD-based uh, laptop at this time. Now, the reason why I think that the Pluton ended up on AMD first, I suspect that it's going to be Intel's going to be right behind them. But remember, Microsoft and AMD worked closely to build the Xbox, and some of the Xbox security stuff made its way over to Pluton, and so that's probably why AMD is launching uh, first. So, last question of the week, which was a, a bit thought-provoking, comes from an old Amiga user. Uh, and he says, how do you like the product development side as opposed to tech reporting? It's an interesting change. So for just background clarity, I was doing uh, tech journalism as a primary means for, we'll just say a decade, probably a little bit longer than that. And now I'm very much in the product development side. And so you kind of got to, like, it's a really like loaded question because on one hand, I really like the tech journalism side. I really, I mean, who doesn't like writing about this stuff for a living and doing that? But on the same side of it, like my career prior to tech journalism was not journalism, even close. I mean, I was in the finance community. I was in um, 
like deep into the finance community for, for that matter. And so I tech journalism sort of happened as a happy accident and I, I don't regret a single second of it. But going into the product development side, especially because I love Windows so much that I'm building apps for Windows that allow you to customize Windows. I get to use my financial background side. I get to use my business side. And that's one thing people don't realize is that when I was doing tech journalism, I mean, I was doing a lot more than that, especially at BWW Media Group, which is uh, throttenpetry.com. It was way more than just writing words on the website. And so from a, a personal perspective, I think where I am at now is a better use of my skill set than in tech journalism. Now, I don't mean that in a negative way, but I think where I'm at now is a better use case, mostly because I, I'm a pretty high octane and optimistic individual, but I struggle with waiting and um, being able to push things along, keep projects moving is sort of where I do better than anywhere else. And so I think it's a better fit for my skill set. I am exceptionally happy with what I am doing and where things are headed and, and the outlay of uh, the roadmap that we have created for 2022 and objectives and doing this sort of thing. It's like, I think it just fits my skill set and personality better than where I was. Not to say that I won't ever do that, but I also have a really, really good balance. Like the one of the reasons I, and I, you know, this is putting myself up on a high horse here is that I am not good at waiting, which is really good in the journalism world. Like I, I got a ton of scoops over the career and I still have more coming. And the reason why this happens is that I was so aggressive in going out there and searching and finding and digging up information that that type of a skill set translates exceptionally well over when you're pushing projects along, doing project management, when you're trying to scope out features, when you're trying to create press releases and all that. Being that aggressive and going out there and getting it uh, is really valuable. And I think that's why I had such a good career, you know, if I'm rating myself. I mean, let's be honest, the Surfer's book that I wrote happened in eight and a half months, something like that from like, I was in the shower, I'm like, I'm gonna write a service book. And then I just got out of the shower and just started writing basically for like six months straight and got that thing done in eight months, which is insane. Now I probably could have waited a little longer, maybe fleshed it out a bit more, but I, I just cranked it out. And that's, that is my personality. When I start something, I just ram it really hard until I get it to where it needs to be. And then I move on to the next thing. And that is perfect in project management. I've already been, <laughs> not yelled at, but been like, hey, we got to slow down a little bit. You're pushing us too fast and we're, we're moving too quick. And that's just my personality. And that's uh, the product development side is vastly interesting. It, it, it opens up my eyes to a lot of different things. Not that I was oblivious to them before, but for example, we shipped Start 11 1.1 this week. Uh, we had two build candidates that could have been the release that we had two of them. One of them was a little bit older, more thoroughly tested. We had a newer build um, that had better fixes and was better overall, but we had less internal testing. And so there's different types of stress in that environment because it falls onto my lap about which build are we gonna ship? And so I could have gone the conservative route and then shipped another update uh, a few weeks later of the one that's actually now released or shipped the latest one with the assumption that the developers did a good job and that the bugs were fixed and we didn't introduce anything catastrophic. And so it's a different type of like, which build are we shipping? And so like I empathize too with Microsoft this week, shipping a build that just wrecked the data centers. I mean, it would wreck them. And so like that is, that is a, my biggest fear is that we push out a start 11 build, a fences build, an object desktop build that wrecks your machine. Like that is nightmare fuel uh, to the, to the nth degree. And so it, 
as opposed to saying like the press side where the press side is that high octane all the time because it's a game of of speed and intensity meaning microsoft announces something the faster you can get it up and written on your site in an intelligible and palatable way is a net result of a better product because you'll get more traffic and so it's just it's different in the stressors of tech journalism versus product management and running a team. But um, from a personal perspective, I think the change has been good. I really enjoy, like really enjoy what I'm doing. I love playing with Windows and I get to play with Windows every day. And so that was a really long-winded approach. And if anybody's still here, that's just sort of, I don't know how my brain operates. So uh, there you go, guys. That's a weird ending to a weird podcast. Not really. But anyways, this is like my favorite part of the week. I love talking about this stuff. And so as always, everybody, thanks for tuning in. We'll catch all of you right back here next time.